is really going to change. In the day-to-day work that you do, have things really changed? Now, I don't mean your company or your strategy or what tools you use. Of course, those are changing. I mean what you actually physically do on a day-to-day basis. Do you commute in by car or by train or sit at a computer? Do you type lots of emails that start with, I agree, but let me just add this one other thing. Or do you sit in back-to-back meetings wondering why you're in this meeting or why it couldn't have been solved with a simple email that starts, I agree, but let me just add this one other thing. Do you sit in on conference calls waiting for Bob to figure out how to dial back in or for Karen and her barking dogs, classic Karen? Do you walk to your favorite lunch spot? Do you do the same things? I mean, over the last 10 years. Or how about in the last 20 years? Or if you're old like me, how about the last 30 years? Now, your gut reaction might be, no, not really, or it might be, oh gosh, yes. But interestingly, if we peel back the covers and actually examine what has really changed, it's probably different than you might imagine. For example, just take technology. Has it changed, really changed the way you work? Or is there just more of it? If you look at your business productivity growth, and our business productivity growth is easily checked, technology helped it increase appreciably from 1973 all the way up until 2007. In the U.S., you can literally see the advent of the personal computer, software, and then the Internet just transform our business productivity. But then, in 2007, and funny that social media took off right around then, while we still grew at 1.2%, our productivity growth it fell off a cliff. What happened? Didn't we suddenly lose innovation or motivation to be productive? Or, as Metcalfe's law would suggest, have we simply reached a peak of where automation can infuse into old processes and habits? It happened once before pre-computer. Is it happening again? Because it's gotten easier to schedule meetings, hold phone conferences, send messages, locate someone, create content, we do more of it. And if productivity growth is any measure, we're at capacity. We are due for a reset because nothing is changing. Except everything is. New technology hits us every day. Now we have robots and machine learning and artificial intelligence and new devices all connected to the internet, helping us, scaling us, giving us more change. Nothing is changing. Everything is changing. Or is anything changing? It's all so confusing. Is it changing us? Are we changing to adapt to the new technologies, the new processes, or are we just doing the same things faster until we don't have to do them at all? Until we are the proverbial frog in the boiling water, not noticing the temperature change until it's too late. And that's the scary part, right? The fear that we'll wake up one day and see that our job is obsolete or that we don't know the newest technology or that everyone except us is on the newest social platform or that our company has been left behind in the newest marketing strategy and it makes us want to know now what is really going to change. What's the future 
so we can prepare. Who's turning up the heat? There's a famous quote often credited to Alan Kay or Peter Drucker or Justin Timberlake, I'm not really sure, but it goes, the best way to predict the future, it's to create it. The way I take that is not that we have to create everything that is the future, but we have to continually recreate ourselves in the future that we see. We'll never get it out now. So certain are you. Always with you, it cannot be done. Do you nothing that I say? Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. In other words, we have to ask ourselves not how will this bright, shiny thing help us move faster down the path we are already on, but how the light will help us illuminate the path we want to be on. And that's the theme of our show today. Change. It's coming. And nothing changes except everything. And knowing how it changes us is the best way forward. Now it's time for me to change up our pitch. We got a slider of a show. You're up to bat. You ready for the heat? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 191 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Friday, July 7th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who is truly changing the face of content and marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm changing the face of marketing by doing 191 podcasts in a There row. it is. There and it just is. Just wasting everyone's time. It's 191 hours. Can you imagine that? That's 191 hours that people have been listening to this two little squirrely heads. What is that? Are we a small child yet? Like uh, 191? (laughs) So we have the. Yes, we are small children. There's no doubt about that. Well, it's the research for every episode. And what what is it? We've talked about this before. It takes you. Takes you an hour or so on the front end, plus your production of the opening. That's right. So a couple hours there. I have an hour of post production. I mean, it's uh, you know, yeah. I think we've we've given birth to a little marketing baby. That's right. And if you were just, <laughs> if you were just to listen, if you were only going to listen to all the shows, like if you were going to binge listen to all 191 episodes, it would take you 7.95 days, like 24 hour, like you 24 get no hours, sleep. 24 oh hours God. a day. Yeah, would take you. Know, you have you ever gone back days. and listened to like the first couple? No, I have. I that is I that is. I don't think I'm ever I going no to do that. No desire to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that because <laughs> that, I don't like. I I don't like listening to myself. Oh, really? I, I don't like it at all. I don't like watching 
my speech. I hate watching I, myself. I don't mind listening to myself. Like I, I listen to our podcast relatively frequently um, just to hear and figure out how I might improve and all that kind of stuff. But, um, uh, and I don't mind the way I sound. I, I, I definitely hate watching myself on video. Yeah, I'm not in it for the improvement part. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's clear. I, I mean, I actually, that part's so clear. I'll, I'll tell you this story because it's funny. So I was in some city. I think I was in Iowa City for Nick Westergaard's event. And mm-hmm. I'm walking down the I'm street. I'm going this in, year. Uh, last year. Oh, so I'm going this year. Oh, you're going this year. Okay. Yeah. So I was at yeah. the last one. And I'm walking down the street, and it's half raining, and I'm walking with um, Andy Crestadina, and we were talking about how great a speaker Jay Bear is. That's right. And we were saying how it just professionally is, and because he has, in, in the speech that I saw, he had all this audio integrated with it and everything. So we were talking about how wonderful he is. And I said, you know, I just don't aspire to be that good. I don't <laughs> want to work at it any harder than I am. And he works at it really hard, and God bless him for it, and it definitely shows. But you know what? I'm happy with it's. I'm happy with good enough. I'm a really good. This is really great for my kids. This is a great well, episode to give to my kids. You know, good enough. It's fine. Yeah, you know, you don't have to be. You don't have to be a master of everything, right? I mean, I guess that's your point. Is that there are certain things that you will do in your life that you have to do consistently and continually, and you don't have to be a master at them to either. And I mean, golf is another thing, right? I mean, you know, I know I have many. I don't play golf, but I have many friends who play golf, and they say I'm very happy playing golf, and I know that I suck at it. I wouldn't say I suck at speaking. I don't know why you brought that up. I mean, we just, we just, you just took it spectrum. You just took it a whole different direction there, uh, Robert. So (laughs) I know I really, I want to get better, but I don't want to watch and I don't want to put the work in. I think that that's okay. I think that's the American way. It's totally fine. It's, it's, there's, there's, there's no one. There's no one on your case about it. I guarantee that I, you are you are more than welcome to be mediocre. Uh, I'm different about my writing, though. I'm very yeah. particular. Well, about see, my there, there, that's a thing for you, right? That, that is writing is writing is now a thing for you know, and for me, it's it's it's. I know I'm always going to be a relatively mediocre writer, and I'm just rely on great editors to 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 sort of bring it up to snuff. Um, but I do care about speaking, and I do care about uh, the the depth of the work. I guess that would be those are those are the things I care about. I don't have no idea how we got on this uh, yeah. tangent, but now I know. But you know what? I'm glad we brought it up because now I know how you feel about my speaking. So well, thanks. It's that's not it's not it's not even a little bit true. You know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. I love you. We're good together. We're like peas and carrots. We're like peas and carrots. That's like Forrest Gump. I got to watch that movie again. I'm all over the place, folks. This episode, it's not going to be brought to you by chaos. This is this is going to be another one of those. Sometimes you know every you know one in every seven episodes, I'll come right out and say this is going to be a bad one. This one. Right here. You think this? You think you're you're putting your money on bad? I'm gonna put it on on bottom ten percent. Not because yeah. of your performance, though. It's be, t- solely because of my performance. That's true. That's let's just go ahead and uh, and seed that that you're that you're going to that you're going to be what makes it suck. Yeah, because it's been five minutes into the program and I still haven't said anything of substance. And there are people now <laughs> turning off. They're like, oh, 191. When do you hit the wall in podcasting? 
191 yes. hours. We're both in leather jackets and we're on water skis and the shark is up ahead. There is there is no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Let's, let's just dive right into this bad boy. Yeah, let's move into the news and jump this shark. Okay, our first story of the show comes to us courtesy of Recode.net. Uh, and yes, it's our friends at Facebook again. And apparently, Facebook has found a way to identify spam and false news articles in your newsfeed. Big hat tip, by the way, here to Alex Chambers, who sent this through the email address. So thank you very much, Alex, for that. And the article opens up by saying Facebook has a new way of identifying false news and spam in users' feeds, and it's charging its news feed algorithm again to try and remove that content from view. Facebook claims that users who post a lot meaning 50-plus times per day, are very often sharing posts that the company considers to be spam or false news. So now Facebook is going to identify the links that these super posters share and cut down on their distribution on the network. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Good idea, bad idea, or something else? I want to know uh, who the Einstein was that came up with this <laughs> solution. Yeah, this is, a bad <laughs> this is the This is the ultimate in short-term solutions. That it let's just okay, let's just say that this is one of the indicators for fake news. Great. Um this there's a workaround to this that's already been solved. Sure. Post uh, forty nine times in it. Forty nine times, uh yeah. more fake accounts, uh whatever that whatever it is. And and I think the issue is and I totally get it, right? With two billion users, that they just what? What they hit two billion? What a couple weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, Zuckerberg just announced that the face. You want to hear an amazing stat? I'm working on a white paper right now, and I just sort of was looking at this. You want to hear an amazing statistic? Yes, I like amazing. Facebook statistics. Facebook today is bigger than the entire internet was when it launched. Isn't that amazing? Because there were not. There were there were one point there were one point five according to the Pew Internet and a number of other sources in two thousand and seven, there were one point five billion people on the entire internet, and today there are two billion people on Facebook. That's astounding to me. Well, what's astounding to me? Well, that is astounding. That is an amazing stat. Uh, yeah. You know, the Amazing Spider-Man is out this weekend, I believe, too. <laughs> uh, just to throw <laughs> amazings out at you. Well, well, <laughs> What's even more amazing is the fact that Facebook has only leveraged one type, for the most part, one type of revenue strategy. And with 2 billion users, with an audience of 2 billion, I can only imagine, you know, when I look at their market cap of whatever it is, 500, 600 billion, I'm like, that's small. Isn't that weird? I, you you think that's small? You think five or six hundred billion? I think small I think for the fact that they've only leveraged one type of monetization strategy. When in a book that's coming out called Killing Marketing, there's ten. It's ten different strategies. They have. Well, it's using a, it's one. a great point. I mean, it's a great. I mean, we'll see what they can do with um, you know, with VR and AR and getting into product and you know, I mean, look, it, the, I would say they have been. Would you say they have been somewhat or at least a little bit successful on the e-commerce side? I mean, I haven't really used the merchant stuff on Facebook, but I, I've heard I've, that there's there's quite a bit of, of sale, selling going on on that on that platform. I think uh, – no, they're, they're going to – obviously, that's going to be major for them. And I think that at someday that should overtake 
advertising. But right now, what right. is it? Ninety six percent of their total revenue is yes, that's right. Revenue, yeah, yeah, something like that. So don't quote me on that. But it's in the nineties. The last one that I saw. Um, my point back to this article. We get that man. This is a um, this this show is really horrible so far. Uh, <laughs> going back to the article, when if they're talking about fake news at this type of scale with 2 billion users, I know they're looking for the algorithm fix. And this is what they're trying to figure out. But at some point, can I guess the, my question to you is, Robert Rose, can an algorithm fix fake news? I, not that I know of. My, <clears throat> you know, my, my take, I mean, this is going to feed right into the other stories that we're talking about on the show, but I think this is a dangerous game at, at, at best in the short term and an unknowable game in the long term, which is I don't believe that today, certainly this is an algorithmic and or a uh, an artificial intelligence solution, um, you know, looking for a problem, right? I, I think this has to be a lot of people looking at content, being vigilant, and quite frankly, leveraging the audience. Because, you know, I mean, whether you believe Facebook is a media company or not, and we've had that discussion ad nauseum on this show, but but whether you believe Facebook is a media company or not, in order to stop, you know, they will, the, the, the people who want to put up bad content, you know, and, and that ranges, right? What bad content really means is it that guy who, puts on a streaming video of himself running away from the police and then bad things happen when the police ultimately catch him or the person who puts up the video of them, you know, beating somebody up or someone who puts up false news or, you know, I mean, what constitutes bad content is such a broad spectrum. I just don't think you can train and or algorithmically prevent the be- you know because it's not quite frankly the challenge here is not the monster content producers who are putting up you know scads of fake news that's um, that's an annoyance right that's that's the 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 challenge with bad content is the the really horrific stuff that is the anomaly here it's you know it's the one or two you know it's the it's the, in a weird way it 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 is a similar challenge to you know, the way we used to fight wars versus, you know, the things that we have to deal with now with individual crazy people, you know, sort of doing horrific things. That's, that's really the challenge. And I, I, I fail to see how an algorithm can, can really, you know, mitigate that completely. Robert, I want you to, do we have a bell? Do we have like a, do we have like a, this old marketing bell? Because (laughs) I think I want the bell rung because I have the solution. Oh, I just, I oh my just, gosh. All right. yes, I really do believe wow. this is a viable solution for Facebook. You want to hear what it is? I do. Okay. Now, here it is. Yeah. Only original source content, no external links. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. I mean, now, now I, I know the repercussions from that. that demonetizes I know, I know the repercussions from that, and a lot of yeah. people wouldn't like that, but just <laughs> right. think about. What you like and what you prefer in your Facebook feed. I know what I, I like pictures of my friends. I like yeah, to hear what's going right. on in their lives. I like to see their videos. What don't I like? I don't like, for the most part, when my friends are reposting news links, which generally seem to be major right or major left wing articles or fake news in and of themselves. What's the fix for that? Don't allow that. 
That's a fa- that's a it, it, there's boy. Can you imagine the freak out that the world would have over that? I mean, I don't know, think I that's mean, so far fe- far fetched though. I think that that's no. It's an interesting <sighs> idea. I mean, it doesn't stop what I just talked about at all. Um, but no, it, I wasn't it, listening to you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's a fair point. So it doesn't stop the sort of the 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 sort of lone video bad person from uploading something horrible, but it does stop what they're actually talking about in this article, which is of course the fake news and and links out to you know really you know highly charged um, content. So it's it's an interesting idea. But if but if you yeah but if you do not if you don't allow another person to link to an outside article it's completely solves that portion of right the issue now it does it does change the calculus of from i mean you have to i don't know do you make an exception for marketers and brands and those sorts of things because that's well, i know what facebook frankly, will though, do if you want yeah. if you want to link to an outside article charge ah, you get to pay for it yeah yeah, yeah. pay pay money for it and that's, that's fine that's because the publishers and the media companies and the marketers that want to spread their probably not very good content anyways around maybe they'll think twice about creating that kind of content in the first place because you're right. going to have to actually pay for it to put on Facebook. And you now make I, a premium and you can do that for individuals too by making premium accounts. That's it. This is it. You, the show so, is over. Yeah. Because we we've now, solved See, now you thought it was going to be the worst show and now it's the best show because we've actually oh come up with a solution for Facebook's monetization really ex- problem. I'm really excited. That's going to be the title of the show. We've found the fake news problem. We have the solution, Mr. Zuckerberg. Just listen to episode 191. There it is. Wow, that turned down a dime. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. That's, so aren't you glad they stuck with it now? Aren't you glad they stuck with it for 16 minutes into the show? There's nobody a, listening. There's nobody listening to this. It's just All right, you let's I. move on to our next. Let's okay. move on to our next item here before right. we before we run the risk of actually spoiling this wonderful solution okay. we came up with. Yes. Um, so the next, uh, we're going to pair two stories together here, um, both of them, and this is you know segues nicely from what we were just talking about on artificial intelligence. The first one will be an article that we link to in the show notes from MediaPost.com. It's called Three Ways Artificial Intelligence Will Change Publishing." And the way that article opens up is by saying, we can't listen to a tech CEO keynote without stumbling on how they are using AI, artificial intelligence, for a variety of products or innovations. Smart publishers are also beginning to embrace AI. They're weaving it into the core of their business. That segues into another one that we'll link in the show notes, which comes to us courtesy of thedrum.com and where we'll spend most of our time in our discussion here with the headline, content marketers increasingly look to AI to supplement marketing needs. Now, if you're coughing BS there, then you're probably on the right track with where Joe and I are going to. But that article opens up by saying, with artificial intelligence or deep learning able to integrate with content marketing efforts, current data suggests that although 57.1% of U.S. marketers remain unlikely to use AI or deep learning in their 2017 content marketing, a significant number felt differently. Bright Edge and SurveyMonkey polled 1,019 marketers worldwide and found that a third, 31.4% of respondents, said that they would use AI to help flesh out their content marketing strategy this year. And an additional 8.7% said they were very likely to do so. I 
this the, those numbers made my head spin um and i know you this is research so i yeah. know you have an opinion on it what say you mr Pulitzer? well first of all i have to say that we do business with bright edge and survey monkey they are both uh sponsors of content marketing institute and the stuff we do and i only have great things to say about them but with that said they're um this is a very tough survey for me to look at and believe, and this is the one that I really got, is um, 31% of respondents said they would use AI to flesh out their content marketing strategy this year. That's the one. And the other one was three in one are making AI a priority. Let's just say, take it, take that question for face value. It's very difficult to put deep learning and AI together, but let's just look at that. Let's just say AI for, for marketing in general. There is no way, no way that 30% are focusing on AI to flesh out their content marketing strategy this year. But I wanted to go to the source and I wanted there to aren't, fig- there, there aren't 31% of marketers who are fleshing out a content marketing strategy That's this exactly year. That's exactly right. And Much I don't know if this is AI just, is going to help. Well, it one. could just be good intentions. Yeah. Uh, but I went to Paul. So Paul Reitzer, good friend of the show, good friend of you and I. Um, he runs the Marketing AI Institute. So he has a little, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this. I sent that article to him. And I said, look, Paul, I just need, you know, level with me. Am I off on this? Is this, is, is this 31% even close? Whatever. And he said, basically, and I'll read this verbatim from Paul. Uh, 99% of respondents had probably had no idea what the question meant. So that's, that's probably true. Are they think they probably thought it was, are you thinking about AI at all? Well, when you say, and you, you and I work with, pretty serious marketers all the time. But when you say we're going to leverage AI a part of our marketing, they don't know what that means. Not yet. For no. sure they don't know what that means yet. I mean, basically, yes. If, if we're talking about I the don't fact know that, what that means yet. Well, it could mean a lot of things. But generally, when you look at when you're taking artificial intelligence and we're looking at it from a marketing standpoint, you're saying yes. that the that the computer learns to uh, learns on its own. It's it's not where you're doing automation, where you're saying, okay, I'm going to set if then parameters, and if the user does something, we're going to send them X, Y, and Z. That that you can automate that. That is not marketing AI. Marketing AI is when the computer and the machine learns on its own and starts to create its own algorithms, not human, not with the human touch, of any way. That. That is not happening, folks. That is that is not happening right now in 99.9% of marketing. <clears throat> and I don't know if you can seriously say, oh, we're planning to do it for next year. What does that mean? What it, right. Do you know? Because if you, I would love to hear anybody out there and, and our listeners, if you're planning on integrating AI into your content marketing, I really want to know what that is. Does that mean that you believe that, that machine, like, we know a company with a lot of companies out there that do natural language processing. If you look at automated insights and what they do for um, Associated Press and uh, and Yahoo News and whatnot, where they can take data and then create a piece of content from that data. A computer okay. is do, creating that piece of content. Is that what you're talking about? Are you feeding data into a, a computer and that computer is or that machine and that machine is pushing out a, a blog blog for you or an article for you or whatever? If that's the case, I would really like to know because outside of the 
the Associated Presses of the world and the Yahoos of the world, I don't see that being done. That's right. That's right. It's the Washington, you know, Washington Post. It's the, you know, it's it's BuzzFeed. It's the, you know, there are there are some companies out there that are experimenting with this um, on the media side, and the, you know, your average day to day content marketer or even marketer is still trying to figure out marketing automation and CRM and measurement of, you know, classic marketing activities. They're not even looking at artificial intelligence right now. Every, every, with, with no exception of the, you know, 30 client engagements I've done over the last 12 months, they're with zero exception. None of them have, have said to me, hey, I'm interested in figuring out how artificial intelligence can help me optimize my content marketing. Well, it's, some of these are interesting, like uh, 35% said that the Internet of Things, IoT, will be a priority in the next 12 months, down from 51% in 2016. That's because <laughs> the 16% didn't know what the Internet of Things was for marketing. Yes. And weirdly, ironically, maybe, I have actually heard that. I have the in the client engagements and, and workshops and advisories that I've done, I have heard customers, especially on the B2C side, who are really interested in content interfaces with other devices. How do we get content interfaces into things like thermostats and, you know, cars and, you know, other kinds of uh, other kinds of product devices and, and is there an opportunity there to optimize content that can deliver value, not just, you know, regular, you know, sort of how hot is it or, you know, settings or those kinds of things, but actually integrating things like thought leadership and those kinds of things into devices. I, I have had some of those discussions, but none of those involved, you know, deep learning or artificial intelligence. Where this article lost it for me, quite frankly, was when they said, um, additionally, more marketers are likely investing in artificial intelligence because they're confident there is a demand for it. In fact, recent data found that nearly 8 in 10 U.S. senior marketers surveyed believed consumers were ready for artificial intelligence. I don't even know what that sentence means. What does that I, mean? That, yeah, I don't know. It, what, what the sentence seems to be saying is, is that marketers are investing in AI because consumers want marketing that is invested in AI. That, that makes no sense to me. You know, I think what they're saying is, is that 8 in 10 U.S. marketers believed consumers were ready for AI in things right in products and in you know interfaces and those kinds of things because they've seen a movie or something but they're not but it does nothing to do with the way that the marketers market their stuff it's 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 a complete non sequitur yeah anyway I, we well, get off on a rant I, outside on of thing, the but. education i have another take later in the episode just about educating ourselves in this area but the one thing that i wanted to say and i, I thought of this while you were talking remember um intelligent content conference uh, 2016 when karen mcgrain did karen mcgrain did a keynote there she did yeah. a really good keynote and the, one of the things that i took out of it and i wrote an article called content marketing forget about the five percent and the reason why I said basically Karen talked about getting to 95%, do the blocking and tackling, do the, you know, in this case, do a documented content marketing strategy, really focus on, you know, your core audience and your core niche and all the stuff that most companies don't do instead of jumping to the things like, oh, what are we going to do in IOT and what are we going to do in AI? If you have the 95% covered, then fine. You should absolutely look at stuff in IOT 
and That's right. AI and what that means for you because you're ready for that. But most of us are not ready. So go focus on getting to the 95% first before That's you great, jump yeah. to the no, to what's a great next. point. That's a great point. I'll put, I that, mean, we, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah, we, we talked on this show, I don't know how many episodes it was ago, we talked about this idea. It was one of the, it was a theme of the show when we, when we did it, when we talked about this idea of, you know, not looking at the, you know, getting, getting what we're, you know, getting good at the thing that we're doing rather than worrying about getting good at the thing that we're not doing. Right. Yes. You know, and, and that's, that's the real key here anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's artificial intelligence. <laughs> I, and, and our, and our take on it. <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's, um, I, I still can't anyways, get, take a read. It'll, it'll be in the show notes. We'd love oh, yeah. to have your take. <laughs> on what you yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, if you're doing, if any of the listeners out there are doing stuff in marketing AI, I would really love to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear about it just so that we yeah. can get it programmed in for intelligent content. It would make a great story oh, and a lesson for, would. I mean, it's not that we're against it. It's that, you know, it's just, it's not, we can't find it yet. So we need to know about it. We need to understand how it's going to change us just to the theme of the show. But it's, you know, it's, it's you know, by the way, since you brought it up and I didn't plan for this intelligent content conference call for speakers is next week. That's right. I'm so, doing a video on it as we speak. Are you really? Yes, I am. Oh, I'll be doing it. I'll nice. be doing a promo video for the call for speakers um, when we finish our recording here. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even plan what, this stuff. I know. It just works what I do. out. It's like a symphony. That's okay. what I do. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to our last story of the show for this week, folks. It comes to us courtesy of PubExec.com. Wonderful publication, by the way, if you don't read it very often. It's a, it's a really cool little magazine. Um, and the headline here is, Most Publishers Are Lousy at Audience Development, and Here's Why. Uh, the article opens up by saying, As media companies, we pride ourselves on building long-term content relationships with our readers. Our audiences are the lifeblood of our business, driving advertising, subscription, event, lead generation, and other revenues. Love that line. But despite our reliance on our audiences, we often struggle at developing them. It seems increasingly difficult for us to get more emails email subscribers, build print and digital subscriptions, drive event registration, and create more leads for advertisers. Why? Because most media companies are actually lousy at audience development. He then goes on to describe why these companies are lousy at audience development. And what did you take from that? I thought there was some great lessons here for us as content marketers um, to take from this as, as a media company executive says, here's you know, here's why we're not good at it. I think it's just, I thought it was a great article. Well, what's, what's interesting, just a little, you know, back in history. So Eric Shanfeld is the writer of this article and Eric was the, f I used to work with Eric at Penton Media. Eric ran digital at Penton for a long time. And when I first went off on my own and left Penton and was just trying to make a dime, Eric uh, was the person that I worked with on uh, my first consulting project. So, oh wow! Yeah, so he was he was him and Mitch Ruda. Uh, both of them did a great job. We worked with a local association on their digital strategy. So, anyways, I just wanted to throw out say hi to to Eric. Um, he always does great work. Um, the one thing that I thought of when I read this, Robert, was a lot of people think, oh, our number one job of the content we create is to immediately sell a product, and that is not true. What you your goal is from a media side as well as if you're creating a, a blog a video whatever the case is it's to do two one of two things either grow your audience or keep your audience so you want new audience or you want to keep the audience that you have like if you said what's the goal of contentmarketinginstitute.com everyone on the team should know that hopefully they do because we talk about it all the time it's to grow or keep a subscriber 
That's the goal. And what I see, like the the lowest hanging fruit that I see, and Eric talks about in this article, is when you go to somebody's website and you go to my, hey, what did you think of? And I just did this the other day. I just did an audit for a friend of mine. He said, uh, he's actually a media company and said, you know, what do you think of this whole thing? And I went through it and, and I could barely find a call to action anywhere on the page. So my question to you is, if you are creating content, do you actually have a call to action? Um, and is that call to action trying to make an unknown visitor a known subscriber? Yep. If you don't know, if you're not doing that and you're not thinking about that, you have to do that because I see so many people that are in it for, oh, yeah, I want to grow. We want more traffic, more traffic, but more traffic, you're actually, the, the reason why you have traffic is to make the unknown traffic into known traffic through a subscriber. So if you are not doing that, you have problems. So I don't know what your takeaway was, but that's the first thing that I thought of is, is and then when we talk about um, these vanity metrics, and one of those vanity metrics we always talk about is traffic. And um, traffic is a vanity metric because what we really want out of that is something else, and we want to, to that be a, a known subscriber. Yeah. My, my take is very similar. It, it, I really love this for for the for – the, uh, uh, for the lessons that came out of it. And, it. and it sort of flows right into something that I've been, you've heard me say this at uh, the last uh, content marketing workshop that we were running, and um, which is this idea of, and it goes right to your idea of keeping the subscriber, right? Which is most businesses these days, if they're doing content marketing, at the, especially at the top of the funnel, right? So lead generation or, or awareness, they typically look at a subscriber the moment that that sort of conversion happens as immediately transforming them into something to sell some, you know, something to, right? Yep. In other words, the minute we get the subscription, that's a lead. And now we can start selling them stuff. And it's like, it's the furthest thing from the truth that it's the, and in fact, it may be the minute that a subscriber hits the database may be the absolute worst time to actually hit them with a sales message because that's when they're most vulnerable. They have just given away in trust their data on the promise that they're going to get value, the value that they just got and got con- and convinced them to say, I want more of this. And if you immediately betray that, immediately betray that with a sales message, now you've not only turned them into not likely to become to stay a subscriber, you've likely turned them into someone who no longer is even interested in you selling them something. And so if we can just change that and start develop, you know, I used to, this is the line that I say all the time in my content marketing workshop, which is it's funny that we call it lead nurturing, but our main goal is to try to shove them through the pipeline as fast as we possibly can. Yeah. Let's truly live up to that name and nurture these people, help their growth, help develop trust, help develop and wonderful, valuable experience for them so that ultimately, and we can do this through lead scoring, we can do this through engagement, we can do this through numbers of ways of content consumption and interaction, inspiring conversation with subscribers. At some point, they will be ready. And, and, and our job as marketers is to hasten that. There's no doubt. Our job is to hasten that journey for them and to, and to inspire them to come to this conclusion sooner. But our job is to wait till they've come to that conclusion that we are a solution for their want or need that they want to explore. And that's, that's as simple as it gets. And audience development and the lessons that we can learn here are just such a big step toward it that I really love this article. 
I have nothing more to say on that. There, you, how about you that? have that was, that was a pretty good rant. I, I have to say that was a pretty good rant. That was the perfect. That was the yeah. perfect response. Yeah, you've there turned you this. You single-handedly turned this no, into our best. It was the Facebook episode. solution. No, it was the Facebook <laughs> solution that single-handedly turned this around. All I did was coast on your sizable wave that you made in the pool, my friend. I'm going to send it to Mr. Zuckerberg. I am simply a surfer in your wake is all I'm doing. What if I post it to Mr. Zuckerberg's wall, but then they mark me as fake news? Well, yeah. So just make sure that it's the 48th or 49th post for you that day. Who posts that much? What? (laughs) Who does this? Stop it. I don't know. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Hey, we should talk about our wonderful sponsor since it's us this week. We should oh, talk. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know that uh, July 21st is the end of our summer rates for Content Marketing World. So if you are going to subscribe, or if you're, I'm sorry, if you're going to register for Content Marketing World, which will be our best ever, we're expecting 4,000 attendees from over 70 countries this year. Uh, we have an amazing lineup. Uh, you and I and the whole team have been working so hard on this. So make sure that you go to Content Marketing World and PNR listeners get an extra $100 off. So use coupon code PNR100 for this old marketing listeners to get that additional $100 off against uh, Content Marketing World is September 5th through 8th in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And if you're going to be in Cleveland, of course, that's my hometown. If you're going to be in Cleveland, September is absolutely the best time to be there. Uh, and we are expecting a wonderful conference. You know, we, last week we announced Colson Whitehead, a Pulitzer Prize winner, author of The Underground Railroad. I'm still going through it. 14 concurrent tracks this year, something for everyone, whether you're a small company, large B2B or B2C marketer, we've got it for you. Go to contentmarketingworld.com, use coupon code PNR100 again to save an additional $100. I'll be speaking... You'll be speaking. Remember, oh, it's just, I can't wait. And it's only oh, what? it's going to be so great. Is it two months away now? It is. Yeah, I mean, two yeah, months it's, away. It's crazy close, and it's just going to be so much fun. I can't wait to see. I mean, just seeing everybody. It's just such a great, it warms my heart. It's one of, it's, it's my favorite thing now. It's like homecoming. It really is. It's like homecoming. It, it's, it's so fantastic to see everybody and the people and the community and, it's just a wonderful. It's a wonderful week, you know, and it really is a week now. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a wonderful thing. Well, and I, it, I, I just sat. Um, I had a meeting this week with a VP of marketing at a mid-size B two B company, and they they took a couple people last year to Content Marketing World, and this year they're sending eight people. Yeah, and I talk, I said, tell me why? Why are you doing that? Why are you sending so many people? She said, there's just there's so there's too much information, and we can't cover it all. So we're sending more people, and the fact that they want to get back to the office and they want to get to work, and the more people they have on the on the same page doing that from different departments. So they they're bringing somebody from the search group now. They're bringing someone from PR. They're bringing someone from corporate communication, and then a couple of the content writers and the content team as well. And I'm like, that's fantastic. That's as, as well as their chief marketing officer. So I'm like... Yeah. And sending a team, they can cover it, right? I mean, you can't... There's just too much to see on your own, right? You know, you, So you have to be very picky and choosy about what you go see. But if you send a team, you can really cover the event well. Well, that's... I mean, that's our evil plot. That's yeah. why we have there 14 concurrent tracks so that there's... There you know, it's a hard choice to make. So there you go. There it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and raves section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we're changing and turning into butterflies or we're actually 
feeling unchanged and dead in the water. Um, all right, so I guess I have I have the Tom. I have this old marketing uh, this week, so I am going first. I have two raves, um, short raves, uh, but raves nonetheless. And um, the first one is just a fabulous, fabulous article. It's long. It's uh, from Harvard Business Review, and you and I have had our ups and downs with Harvard Business Review on the blog. But but this on the blog is just a just a wonderful uh, article, especially if you're interested in and or are in senior management and marketing. And the title of the article is called Why CMOs Never Last. Um, and it goes through uh, some research, um, some analysis, some recommendations, some experiences, uh, just a, a, a wonderfully put together piece that talks through the challenges uh, in uh, the CMO's world and the lack therein of sort of tenure and the ability for CMOs to get a lot done and sort of the troubling signs that the CMO um, has had over the last five to 10 years. And we, Carla and I touched on this topic briefly in, uh, it was a chapter of of one of the book, uh, of of experiences, one of the chapters in the book. And we talked about that, and and this article doesn't really touch on that. So if, if I had to add anything to this article, what I would talk through is they touch on the idea that one of the main reasons that the CMO job is really struggling is because, quite frankly, the CEO or those that are in charge of the business don't really understand the function of marketing in the business. And I think before you can fix, you know, they go on to sort of prescribe three or four or five different ways that you can remedy the situation and hire a CMO that can have meaningful impact. And I think there is a prerequisite to that, which they, again, they touch on, but they don't touch on as deeply as, as, as I might, which is really the, the, the C-suite needs to really relook and re-examine the whole function and purpose of marketing. And of course, we have a whole opinion on that in Killing Marketing, the book coming up about how it should be completely rebooted. But this is just a really, this is the step two in my mind is then looking at a leader that can actually be empowered to do things. And it's just a, you know, it's, I'm, I'm guessing here, I'm guessing it's, you know, it's 1500 or 2000 words, but it's just a fantastic article and I couldn't more highly recommend it. Um, the second one, which I will also mention just briefly, which is really a nice corollary or paired piece with the CMO article from, uh, from HBR is from AdAge, and it's an article that says why Unilever is having its agencies and investing in strategy. Um, And it's an interview. Um, And uh, uh, it's basically uh, an interview that talks through really why Unilever is really changing the entire way that it does marketing and work with creative agencies. And there's a throwaway line in here that, that really speaks to the fact that they're moving very, very prominently into content. They have a whole internal content studio that they're that they're building called U Entertainment, um, and it's where they're talking about really moving much of the creative work and the content that they're creating. Um, it, they touch very briefly on it, but the interview itself really talks through how they're handling the change in compensation with agencies, what they're how they you know their opinion on programmatic, um, their uh, opinion on content, um, and they're looking at you know the sort of bigger picture of what they're doing from an agency relationship and a marketing strategy perspective. And I think it's a wonderful pairing to go with that because it's really just very insightful in terms of where we're going with, you know, agencies and, and those kinds of things. So yeah, just two great articles. Wanted to rave about them both. 
Well, speaking of, uh, thank you, by the way, speaking of agencies, and we've talked a little bit about this uh, during this episode, but my rave, and it's a very quick rave that I wanted to send a shout out, is to, um, yeah, obviously, you talked about Paul Reitzer. Paul's been a friend of ours for a long time, but he created something called the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute last year. And start doing some really great work. I'm subscribed to their newsletter. And what I would, and I just wanted to throw this out since we've talked about AI a lot of this episode. If you don't understand the implications of artificial intelligence for the marketing function today, go to marketingaiinstitute.com and just subscribe to their e-newsletter. Uh, I get nothing. I get no kickbacks for for, <laughs> for giving him a little bit of love on this one, uh, but it's super helpful because what he what Paul and his team there are doing is they're really focusing on the very few case studies that are out there right now and what is possible for machine learning when it comes to the marketing function. And he's put a lot of effort behind this. Um, and so I just wanted to throw out a little rave for that. So go to marketingaiinstitute.com and then go ahead and subscribe uh, directly to their e-newsletter. And if you go, click on, if you go to that site and then go on the about page, you will get the sort of the intro article for why this is important. I would recommend you go ahead and read that. I'll put that in the show notes as well, the introduction to marketing AI, so you can start to get a feel for what the possibilities are, why Paul started this whole thing, and uh, and why you should even care about it. So that's my very, very quick rave uh, for the outstanding job that they're doing over there. Uh, Paul's a... Paul's an, I mean, they run an amazing shop over there. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's worth a subscription. I am subscribed as well. And it's just, it's, it's, he has given me a primer on artificial intelligence that I truly value. So well, and a lot of the content, stuff. actually a lot of the content we had last year at, uh, at intelligent content conference came from, from Paul's recommendation. I mean, when we yeah. were talking about the Washington right. post stuff and the automation there, and I was the first, uh, he was the first one that told me about how, um, now a hundred percent of associated presses, uh, releases are, are automated. And yeah. I'm like, how did that happen? So, you know, we went through the details there. So, I mean, he just is on the cutting edge of what's going on there. And so, uh, if you care about that, so there's a, there's a resource and there wasn't, uh, before last year. He's on fleek. As the kids might say. Oh, <laughs> He's lit. Isn't that, the, isn't that the new one? Lit. I, lit. I take it back. I thought we turned a corner. But we, we jumped off a cliff. We have not. We absolutely <laughs> did jump off that cliff. So, so let me hear about your, uh, your This Old Marketing. This, this uh, we have a fun one. It's a short one, but a fun one this week. Um, so, uh, so I live here in Hollywood, as most people know. Um, and one of my really good friends is a working actor in this town. And that's actually saying something in this town when you're, a, when you're, when you're a working, you know, you're making a career out of it. He's no one that you'd, you've probably seen him in, you know, numerous shows where he's been a guest star and, um, you know, and, a, and he's a, he's a character actor. Um, but he's done a lot of stuff and he's, he, he makes a living at it, which is nice. And so he, he, as I was seeing him just last week, he told me, hey, I'm going on this audition um, for this show. It's a kid's television show, and it's for the main, you know, one of the main leads and all that kind of stuff. And I, wow, that's really exciting. Tell me more about it. And he said, well, it's this kid's show that has to do with postal inspectors. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? He said, yeah, it's basically this television show for kids that airs on Saturday mornings. And it's basically about two, it's like a CSI or a, 
uh, law and order type show where uh, it's about these postal inspectors and they investigate cases. So I'm like, and he told he tells me a little bit more about it, and it's it's basically you know this that that's the show. Come to find out that the show itself is funded and paid for by the U.S. government. The U.S. Postal Service um, funds the show. It's called The Inspectors. It's a kid's show. It's been around for two and a half years. Um, they're going into their third season now. Oh, no, I'm sorry. currently filming the second season now um, that they film in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, the Inspectors is a show that is funded entirely by the U.S. Postal Service. Now, the, as the article that we'll link to in the show notes points out, it's not from taxpayer money. So taxpayer money has nothing to do with the funding of the show. They fund the show entirely out of the money and the selling of paraphernalia and, and all the stuff that they find in the confiscation from the crimes that they investigate. So they investigate all these crimes and they find all this loot and they use that loot to then fund this television show about helping kids spot, get educated and get entertained about what it's like to be a U.S. postal inspector. And so the government has spent about $5.5 million over the last two years funding this show. The show, as I understand it, does pretty well. It's part of the three-hour-long block of Saturday morning kids programming on Saturday mornings on networks all around the country. And it basically tells the real life. They're all real. You know, They have an advisor on set, and all those writers and, and the stories are inspired by real-life cases of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, and each episode then concludes with a crime prevention message from the real life chief inspector of the US Postal Service and basically you know helps create educational inform uh, informational television for uh, for kids I just thought it was a fantastic example of here we are a government organization funding a entertaining and and I guess wonderful I watched a little bit of it and it was wasn't that entertaining but you know a wonderful little show for kids helping them understand cyber crime and and US postal crime and um, you know what you're allowed to ship and what you're not allowed to ship and 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 all that kind of stuff and all of it funded by uh, the the US uh, the US Postal Service just a wonderful example of content marketing on a television you know through a television show done by a government organization i thought a really cool example of this old marketing that's fantastic so you're, you're telling me it's not going to be cut is what you're telling me you mean the the show is not going to be canceled? yeah they're not gonna, the, yeah the show is not going to be canceled no it's it's got a second season in it they're they're currently filming a full because second season of it because they've diversified their revenue stream that is correct, and they're casting a new. So that I don't, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this or not. I'm going to say it, and if I get in trouble, I get in trouble. But the reason that my friend got the audition is because the main guy um, that is the sort of you know in the CSI or the you know there's a there's a man and a woman that who are the lead characters, the lead detectives, and the main guy is actually leaving the show to go work on uh, Star Trek. He's going to be on the new CBS Star Trek show. Ooh. And so, they're, they, so, so they have an opening, and this is what my friend auditioned for, was the, the, main, the main dude. So there you go. You may have gotten a scoop there. You may not have gotten a scoop there. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like scoop-worthy. Yeah. That, that is exactly the way you end our best episode ever. <laughs> one ninety one, the top. One ninety one. This is the this is the one we'll win the award for. This is it. This is the one we're submitting to the <laughs> the, the potties. 
Is that the, what they? The, I, is that the, the podcast award? The potties. See, that would be funny. That would be funny. The potties. Let's create and, and basically let's create a you, podcast award. We're going to call the, the potties. potties. They're going to yeah. call it the potties. And you have basically you get a number one award or a number two <laughs> award. <laughs> so, so the question is, which one's better? That's. <laughs> Well, who's the boss of number two is all I'm going to say to you. That's I'm <laughs> Oh, good. my God. Anyway, oh, we should get out of here. That's good. Yes. Let's get the heck out of here. Yeah. That is it, folks, for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose uh, for the potties. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, our best ever, number 191, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? If you didn't like number 191, just skip to 192, because 192 will be the best episode ever. And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And if you leave us a review or if you subscribe, do let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up on Twitter. We would love to thank you personally for that little kindness. And also, story ideas, story ideas. We need them. We love them. We need them. We need them. We need them. Just hashtag us up, won't you? This old marketing on Twitter. Or you can send an email with a question or anything you need at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night. And of course, in all their replete technical glory on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.